0: Don't encourage them. Don't encourage them. Now I know why I'm not allowed to see them until I get up here. That's all I got to say. Oh my goodness. We're in this series, Back to Basics. And, you know, whether you're a business person, whether you're an athlete, you know, in in many spheres of life, we know the importance of getting back to the basics. In fact, it's been said, so-called advanced techniques are really just basic moves coupled with speed and accuracy. In other words, we need to Oftentimes go back to the foundation of whatever our discipline is in order to excel and that's equally as true in our faith with Jesus Christ that we need to go back to the basics it's actually in going back to the basics and even the spiritual disciplines of like prayer and Bible study but these things are magnified as we understand what the truth is of the gospel and what Paul does in Romans one through eight is really lay out the basics of the gospel and that's what we're going to be continuing to study over the next several weeks. To bring us up to speed, um, to remind you if you were here last year, uh, last week, or if if you're uh, new with us, um, Paul teaches us in the very first part of Romans chapter 1 sort of a little bit about himself. He says that he's an apostle and that he's a servant. As an apostle, he's talking about his calling, that he's been given this calling of really laying out the basics for the church, uh, of not just teaching it, but he writes two-thirds of the books of the New Testament laying out the basics of of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, the salvific work that he did for us on the cross. But he also says he's a servant. And that word servant is so important. It means that he wills God's will. And he doesn't just will God's will for his life as a believer, but he also wills it for our lives. But he wants God's will to be our will. He speaks of the substance of the gospel, which is Jesus Christ and the scope of the gospel, which means it's, it's for everyone. In fact, one of those hinge verses in scripture and specifically within the book of Romans, and I call it a hinge verse because that verse sort of hinges together a particular teaching of the gospel is Romans 1.16, where Paul says he's not ashamed of the gospel. He's not ashamed of the gospel, why? Because it's the power of God to bring salvation to everyone who believes. And he talks about the fact that anyone who believes can find salvation in Jesus Christ. That the gospel is powerful in that it saves and reveals the, the righteousness of God. And so Paul introduces what he's going to share with us, and that is this gospel of the God who rescues. And he gives us, I believe, Romans 1.16 to give us sort of uh, the light at the end of the tunnel. Because before he shares the good news more thoroughly, He shares some bad news. And we're going to dig into the bad news today. And you're like, well, I didn't come to church this morning to hear bad news. Well, you really can't get the full effect of the good news unless you know the bad news. So what are you talking about? If I were to call any of you just randomly on the phone and say, hey, I'm okay, you'd go, oh, that's good. I'm glad, right? Glad you're okay. It's questionable, but I'm glad you're okay, right? But if you had heard I was in a very serious car accident, and I were to call you immediately after you had heard that news and said, hey, I'm okay, it brings a whole new meaning to it. And and, and I'm concerned that that many across the American church believe in Jesus, but they really don't understand what that belief really has saved them from. And the bad news is so important because the good news is so much more magnified when we understand that which Jesus has truly done for us. And, And we're talking about sin. Sin's not popular, it never has been. And yet, as much as we would say it's not popular to talk about, within our culture, it's very popular to practice. And, and so we're going to dig into the bad news, but do it in such a way that it magnifies the good news. We know that Paul is taking us to a place in his letter in Romans 5.1, where he'll write this, therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so as we look at this this charge really that that God has against humanity, this charge of, of sin. I want us to keep in light Romans 1:16. For the gospel is the power of God to save everyone who believes. So Paul digs into the bad news. The bad news is there's a charge against humanity. Paul uses a lot of legal terms and legal imagery within the first eight chapters of Romans. And, and so if you can picture a courtroom. Paul's going to lay out the charge against all of us. Now, the charge in a criminal case is a specific statement of what crime the party that's accused of has, has particularly um, done. It, it's the indictment of the, in the criminal complaint. And God, as the plaintiff, has charged humanity of the crime of sin. Now, it's interesting that both sin and crime share a similar definition. Both terms are defined by a violation of the law. When we speak of crime, It refers to an act of commission or omission commanded by public law. When we speak of sin, it refers to any thought, word, or deed opposed to the law of God and his divine will. And so Romans 1, 18 through 32, is gonna paint a very clear picture of the predicament of all of humanity without Jesus. Remember, keep it in light of Romans 1, 16. We know the good news this side of the cross. And so we get to dive into the bad news so it magnifies the good news. Well, let's dig right into our passage. Romans 1, let's start with verses 18 and 19. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. God's wrath is now revealed upon sin. And we have to understand that God's wrath is not an uncontrolled outburst. It's really the consistent reaction of the character of God. It's the reality that that God in his purity and his righteousness cannot be intermingled with sin. Sin can't exist in the presence of God. And so Paul will write later that the wage of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Bad news, good news. Paul always shares the bad news before he shares the good news, so the good news will be magnified and understood how good it is. And so God is angered by sin. I have often in my life thought this. I'm sure you have. You may even have said it. Why doesn't God just wipe out all evil? How many of you ever thought that? How many of you this last year have thought that? A lot, right? Why doesn't God just wipe out evil? What's interesting, Peter shares with us this very insightful passage where he says, the Lord is not slow in coming back. He's patient. And why is he patient? He's patient to give people opportunity to choose God. Now, why is that so important? We're going to learn later in Romans, but I I can't not share this because we need to understand it that without Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, without his righteousness covering us, we deserve death. In other words, just a little bit of evil is enough to deserve death, right? For all have have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so if, if God were to just wipe out all evil, then those who haven't chose Christ would have to be wiped out too. Come on, church. I, for one, am really thankful that when believers before I came to Christ said, Lord, why don't you get rid of evil? Right? Just get rid of
1: it. That God said, no, 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 I'm waiting for Craig.
0: Come on now. And he said, I'm waiting for you, and I'm waiting for you, and I'm waiting for you. I have friends and family. Anytime I'm tempted to go, God, just wipe out evil, you know? just wipe out evil. I think of my family and friends who don't know
1: Jesus, and I go, don't come back today. Just wait. Continue to be patient. Continue to hound them with your. Give them an opportunity to choose you. But God's wrath
0: is justified. It's not that he's out of control. It's that he's pure and holy, and that which isn't pure and holy can't stand before him and Scott explains, God's wrath is, is so settled and perfectly right, it's his righteous antagonism to evil. It, it, it's what sent Jesus to the cross. It, it's his profound love. It's, it's his identity. It, it's, it's who he is. And by the way, would we want to worship a God that's any less than pure? Any less than righteous?
1: Any less than good? Well, the good news is he's all those things.
0: The bad news is without Jesus, we can't stand in his presence. Then we read Romans 1.20. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived, even since the creation of the world and the things that have been made so that they are with it, we are without excuse. God has revealed himself to his creation. The question is often out there, how can humanity be found guilty if they don't know God? And God's made himself clear. He said, I've shown myself through creation. We call this general revelation. General or natural revelation is simply put, God's showing himself to all people at all times through the things that he has created. And I love how Stott illustrates this. He says, just as artists reveal themselves in what they draw, paint, and sculpt, so the divine artist, and I love that name for God, the divine artist has revealed himself through his creation. The other day, I was, I was out eating supper. I was by myself, and I was just sitting at the lake. It hasn't been nice weather. Enjoy it today, you know? It's it such nice weather, and I was sitting here. I was looking at the lake, and I was looking at the hills, and the sun was going. I went, oh, my goodness. What, what, a, what a moment of worship. I wasn't singing. I was just taking it in. It just revealed God and his greatness. I, I love museums, to the chagrin of some of my family. I love museums. And one of my favorite is the Field Museum in Chicago. Has anyone ever got to go to the Field Museum in Chicago? It is a fantastic museum. I love learning about the vegetation and rocks and animals, humanity. Now, given the the museum takes a macro evolutionary approach uh, to how all these things came into being, I call it happenstance, which I totally stand against because I believe the scripture does too. If you were to walk on the moon and find a watch, you wouldn't think that it just happened to develop into a watch you would say there has to be a creator because of the intricacies of such a thing. And when I look at the creation of the world and look at all the intricacies that if we were any closer to the sun or any further away, we couldn't exist as humanity. When I think of all the things that we need, the perfect way that we need oxygen and food and what and it all just happens to be here, I think it cries out for a creator. And so as I walked around that museum and just saw all of God's creation was learning so much more about it, it was, it was, just, it was just yelling, there's a creator God. There's a first cause, there's, 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 there's meaning beyond all this. And so it may lend us to even ask the question then, if, if creation really cries out that there's a God, how can so many of us have missed it? And the answer is sin. Oh, will later, right? But the God of this age has blinded the eyes of unbelievers so they can't see the light of the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. All of us were in that place until we came to the Lord. Sin is that powerful. There are two things that God really wanted us to see in nature. He wants us to see his awesome power. He wants us to see his divine nature, his attributes, a piece at least of, of who he is. But a God who created all these things has to be magnificent. There has to be some love in, in his God, his profound love, actually, because of, of all the things that he's done to allow us to exist and, and, and be blown away by it. The psalmist declares in Psalms 19, 1 and 2, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day-to-day pours out speech, and night-to-night reveals knowledge. Notice that it's knowledge that creation reveals. Francis Schaeffer writes this. He says, so often Christians uh, argue intellectually for the existence of God, using arguments such as the need for a first cause. And this has value. He says, this has value, but the truth is much deeper than this. It's not just that our world has a first cause, but that we're surrounded with the good things of God. He fills every human need and this should be ample testimony of his existence. So this charge against humanity of sin, when you think about it, humanity is without excuse. Why? Because of the way they've dealt so poorly with general or natural revelation. They've looked at the world and and sort of have turned their back on a creator. Even those without the knowledge of Christ have been shown enough of God through creation to at least honored him and thanked him. And then Paul gives us a pretty lengthy description in verses 21 through 31. It's as if he sort of reads our minds and and we go, well, that's a big deal, but how big a deal is it really? And and he's gonna describe sin in the most uh, direct way you can imagine. It's a lengthy passage, but it's worth us listening to and, and letting it marinate in our souls this morning. Romans 1, 21 through 31. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up to the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. Now just camp there for a minute. If one of the hinge verses of the gospel is Romans 1.16, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God to save everyone who believes. Another hinge verse in the gospel is right here in verse 25, because humanity has done what? They've exchanged the truth of God for a lie. So keep both those statements in mind. Because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the cre- creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever, amen. Paul just explodes in a moment of worship. Verse 26, for this reason, God gave them to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations for women who were consumed um, with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty of their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil covenant. Here's a list evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, Did you guys catch that. Um, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. That's quite the description. Like, they, like you read that and you go, I got the point. You know, there's this, there's this, this, this rejection of God as creator. People have rejected God as creator And they've experienced a spiritual devaluation and therefore God has consigned them over to the power of sin. What's it mean when God's consigned them over to the power of sin? It simply means they chose sin. So he said, you can have what you choose and the consequences of your choice. And I'll have people say, well, how can God, how can God pronounce death on someone? And I go, well, really, when you look at scripture, we pronounce it upon ourselves." We've committed the crime, we embrace the crime, and we then, because he's handed us over to it, get the results of the crime. Notice the two responses God expected from humanity. He expected to be glorified and that he would be given thanks, and notice what happens. Humanity's thinking is futile, and their foolish hearts are darkened. He's really talking about the fall of humanity. And the fall of humanity can really be thought of in three different categories, if you will. The first is the original fall, Adam and Eve. Adam's in the garden, right? He has all the trees he can eat. And there's this one he can't eat of, the knowledge of good and evil. He says, you can't eat of that tree, God says. And Adam eats of it. Now you'll notice I talk about Adam, not Eve. And the reason is because God gave the command to Adam. It was Adam's responsibility to tell Eve he bears the responsibility of that. You say, how do you know? Because later Paul will write, there's two categories of humans on planet earth, those who are in Adam and in Christ. He doesn't say in Eve, he says in Adam. And so Adam makes this decision, basically, I wanna not just be like God, I wanna be God. Like I wanna be in charge of my life. And he takes and he eats of this tree and and from that point forward, sin has been part of every one of our DNA. That's bad news. That's the fall. We deal with its effects all the time. In fact, when you look at the description of sin that Paul gave, that we read, that lengthy passage, and you look around the world, you go, I get it. I get it.
1: Do you know what the job description of a sinner is? To sin. Do you know what the job description of someone who's come to Jesus, who the scripture now calls a saint is? To become like Jesus. Soapbox moment.
0: If we were more concerned about us living out our job description and less concerned about those who are living out the job description if it's just to be expected of those not in Jesus, more of them would probably want to be a part of our job description. Just a thought, throw it out there, I'll move on. The fall in our DNA. The second way we can look at the fall is in culture. If you were to several decades ago, to to stand on any street corner in this country and ask someone to share with you the gospel, they may not be a believer, but they could tell you what the gospel is. More times than not, we know this statistically to be true, more times than not, several generations, several decades ago, not even that far really, they would be able to share with you the main pieces of the gospel. If you were to do the same thing today, most people couldn't do that. And it grieves my heart to say this, but if we went to most churches, most people couldn't do that. People sitting there who hear messages every week could not share the basic pieces of the gospel. That's a fallen culture. Then there's the fallen individual. There are some people who are raised in the church. They heard the truth and they've walked away from it. And so you may ask yourself, well, which one is Paul thinking of? Is he thinking of the ultimate fall, Adam and Eve, in the garden? Is he thinking of cultural, how, how a nation, a culture can fall? Is he thinking of an individual, how they can fall? The answer is yes. I believe he has all three in mind. Individuals can fall away from the truth. Cultures can fall away from the truth. And in the beginning, Adam and Eve stands the original fall. And what's the psalmist tell us about what the fall has done? Psalm 14.1 says, The fool says in their heart, there is no God. Remember the blinding of the unbeliever? Remember the consequence of sin? We look at the world around us and we say there is no God rather than looking at it and say there is a God and we are in trouble. There is a God, and we're in deep.
1: The fall of humanity, then, isn't just a little trip on a sidewalk. It isn't a small thing.
0: Sin is devastating. It's devastating eternally because any finite sin against an infinite God has infinite consequences. And by the way, the good news is any finite act of an infinite God has infinite consequences. What Jesus has done will cover all this. You can tell I like to share the good news more than the bad news. But we got to get the bad news. It's
1: not a hiccup. Sin affects us eternally. It affects us today. Unrest, hatred, jealousy, prejudice, not caring about our neighbor, that's all a result of sin. If there weren't sin, marriage would be a lot easier. Going to work would be more joyful. Sidebar here. When we're sharing the truth of
0: God's love in a fallen world, it, it can seem really overbearing at times, like such, such a task. But really, God only calls us to do three things, church. Number one is, is, is share the gospel as clearly as we can, to know it and share it. And, and by the way, no one here knows everything. You just don't. And, and so let me let, let you know a little secret. If somebody asks you a question about the gospel and you don't know the answer, this is what I do. I go, I don't know the answer to let, let's try to find it together. Let's look at it. The, the Bible has, I'm sure, an answer for that. Let, let's look at it. Let's see if we can find it. But we're just called to share the gospel as clearly as we can when people are asking, when we have the opportunity. Number two is to pray. Pray for those who haven't heard the gospel. They'll hear the gospel. And those who have heard the gospel, they'll respond to the gospel. And then third, who, by the power of the Holy Spirit, live in such a way that they want what we have. Again, none of us are perfect but we should be seeking to become more like Jesus. It should be the type of thing when people are on the outside looking in, going, I want what you got. You don't have to be on the outside. You can actually be on the inside with us. You can know God. You can can have life. You you can experience the transformation power of God. It's a journey. It's a messy journey at times because we're messy. But it's a great journey. Now back to our passage. Notice the downward spiral. The downward spiral. God made humanity in his image, but humanity rebels and makes God in their own. Humanity exchanges the infinite for the finite. Humanity goes from worshiping the glorious, ever living God to man to birds to animals to reptiles. I mean, what a tragic trajectory. Humanity has ignored God's power so clearly revealed in creation that they they make idols. And you may be sitting here this morning and saying, I don't have any idols. Like, if you came into my house, there isn't a stone idol up on my bookshelf or a wooden idol up on my bookshelf. I haven't painted an idol in my house. But Francis Schaeffer really explains so well how this pertains to us today. He writes, when non-believers, and sadly some believers, use the word of God today, they're usually making their own God in the image of man just just as thorough as the Greeks did. There are two ways to make a God in the image of man. One is to chisel something out of stone or create something with paint. Another is to sink into your armchair and simply project yourself, the creature, a bit further and say, this is what God is like. One doesn't
1: need stone and paint to make a God. Have you ever sat back and said, if God was loving, he would do this? Have you ever tried to define love in your own terms and say, God, you
0: need to be that God? God, why aren't you causing them to be punished right now? Isn't it interesting how we want everyone else punished but ourselves? (laughs) Ever sat there? What are we doing? We're we're trying to squeeze God into our mold. And and I'm just going to be real blunt with you. You don't want God in my image, and I don't want God in yours. I, I want a God that's beyond me. I want a God who sometimes does things I totally don't understand, and I'm like, I get it, I don't understand because you're God and I'm not. I want a God who defines love for me, because if I define it, it's going to be a perversion of what he intended. In fact, that's what Paul does when he uses sexual sin as an example of sin. Now, some have misunderstood this. There isn't a hierarchy of sin. You understand that, right? But any finite act, any finite sin against an infinite God has infinite consequences. So he's not given a hierarchy here. He's just using one that we can all really see and understand. Its source is illicit sexual desire. Its function is perversion. It's taking what God intended and perverting it. Its effect is well seen. Deterioration mentally, socially, physically, all these type of things. So he's using this this grand example to cover all sin. And say, you get it. It leads us to places that God did not intend us to go. That's a great lie of the enemy, is that
1: something that God has forbid would somehow bring us happiness. Why do we think that? God forbids it, he's protecting us, right, church?
0: But humanity, without Christ, is, their thinking isn't right. And dare I say, even in Christ, our thinking is being righted, right? Romans 12.2, the transformation of our minds that's spoken to believers. Why do we still need our mind transformed? Because it's still not where it needs to be. And Paul uses this example because he's saying this is just what sin is. And then he summarizes sin in verse 32. He's like, if you haven't gotten it, let me give you the overview summary. Verse 32. Though they, didn't, they, although, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them but give approval to those who practice them. What's he saying? saying. They don't just do sin, they applaud those who do it. Keep doing it,
1: keep doing it. I had a friend once tell me, he said, you know what, when I'm older and I can't party anymore, that's when I'll come to Jesus. I said, you better hope you have an opportunity when you're old and you're presuming a lot there. Secondly, you think what you're doing is bringing you happiness. Because, well, how do you know it doesn't? Scripture tells me. Nothing God forbids brings true joy. Lie of the enemy.
0: You'll want more, you'll want more. You'll never satisfy, will never satisfy. They haven't just, he's saying humanity doesn't just sin, they applaud those who do it. And sin is down, downright rebellion, and it's a charge against humanity. And can anyone in this room, anyone in the world, claim not to be guilty? All of us are in the same boat for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Paul will write later. I mean, think about it. In the end, nothing keeps people from entering into a saving relationship with God through Jesus Christ more than them denying they need Him. Why do we look at the good news? bad news? Because the good news, the bad news magnifies the good news. If we don't know the bad news, then the problem is we, we, we don't embrace the good news. See, this is another concern I have with the American Church. It that so many people say, "I'm in Christ, but they don't really know what they've been saved from. Like, it's so much more than paradise. And by the way, heaven is going to be really cool. I'm excited about that. I really am. But it's so much more than that. And the price that was paid for my sin by a God who didn't have to do a thing, but because of his love, looked at the world. Read that definition. Is that someone
1: you'd want to die for? Later he'll write, you know, Jesus even said, you know, it's easy to die for someone you love and is a loving person. I don't know how easy that is, but it's easier. Man, to die for somebody who's your enemy. He doesn't give a rip. Of it. That's another thing.
0: We don't truly come to Christ and understand what he's done for us unless we understand our need for him. That's the bad news leading to the good news. It's just like we don't go to a doctor unless we know we need a doctor. And then some of us still don't go to the doctor. And if we don't go and they don't tell us the bad news, there's nothing we have to worry about.
1: I'll be honest with you. I do not
0: like going to the doctor. Any of you like going to the doctor? My wife will tell you, she was in the last service. I mean, the week before I go to a doctor, I have every symptom in the world. I don't know what it is. I'm up here. I'm just being honest with you. I'm a, I'm a man of faith. I decided I didn't really waver. there. You can pray for it. Uh, it's really hard for me to go.
1: But when I break down and go, you know, I need to go, that's the beginning of getting what I need. And we're filled with a world that says, I don't need God.
0: And you don't come to the Lord unless you know you need him. Paul will later write, we'll get to it. He says, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. It doesn't mean that we sin a whole lot so we can get a whole lot more grace. Argue that That's not what he's talking. He's just simply saying those who understand how lost they were, who understand how lost
1: they were, are even more understanding of how great God's love. Those who come to Him and say, "I was just a little lost,"
0: only understand a little bit. The truth is, we were all equally lost, all in need of God. And the good news, although Paul doesn't get there this week,
1: I've already read ahead. Good news is, is that Jesus has paid the price. Of we'll look at it more than the weeks to come. He's already paid the, paid a price that we owed, we couldn't pay. He didn't owe it. He paid it. But get into the bad news so we can see the good news. How great and marvelous. So I ask you this morning. You don't have to wait until you hear the full good news.
0: To be able to say this morning, I need Jesus. If you're sitting here and you're saying, man, I need Jesus. I've never made that decision. And when we pray in just a moment, all you need to do is say, Lord Jesus, come into my life. Let us walk with you as you grow in in Christ. Paul uses two words to describe salvation. One's justified. That's what happens when we come to Christ. We, We are made right with God. The second is sanctified. That's the salvation process that happens after we come to Christ. We're becoming more like Jesus. Maybe this morning you need to come to Jesus. Maybe you'd say, I've exchanged the truth of God for a lie. Now, believer, let me talk to you. Maybe you're in a season where you'd say, look, I came to Jesus, but I'm right now exchanging the truth of God for a lie. There's some things in my life I need to get right with him. Let me let you in on the good news. Whenever we fall, God's loving hand is always reaching out to us saying, let's get up and do this thing. I don't understand why Christians, when they fall, I've done it. I don't understand when I do it. When I have... I've done something, and I lay there and act as if I need to lay there for a certain amount of time before God wants me to get back up. He wants us to get back up immediately and walk with him. God is the God of second, third, fourth, 5,000 chances. He is a good God. Sin is a big deal. God is bigger than sin. That's the good news. And So wherever you find yourself this morning, won't you take that step of faith he's, he's leading you? And I hope you're sticking with me in Romans, because this is a fantastic book with a life-changing truth. Father God, thank you so much for your profound love. Thank you for the wisdom that you imparted to, to Paul to share the bad news before we get the good news, because to truly understand how good the good news is, we need to understand the bad news. And the bad news is really bad. We've exchanged the truth, your truth, for a lie. We've tried to make ourselves God's in our lives. And it's caused all type of havoc throughout all of your creation. But Lord, thank you for the good news that Paul shared before he really digs into the good news. He, he shares Romans 1.16, but he's not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it's the power of God. It's a salvation for everyone who believes. And Lord, I just pray this morning, if there's anyone who's yet to receive you as Lord and Savior, whether in this room, whether they're watching online, they're engaging through a taping of this service, even on our Hopewell campus, we lift them up to you. We just pray, Lord, that they would just come to receive you as Lord and Savior. They would enter into the good news, into that promised relationship. God, for the believer in here who maybe struggle, maybe, maybe they've been walking with you for years, and yet they'd be honest that even now they're exchanging the truth for a lie. Lord God, that they would just turn to you. They would... Turn their back on that lie. Let your truth just just reign in their life. Make us more like you. Father God, I believe you want to do something in our lives. You want to do something in our region that, that only you can do. And it, it begins with that revival fire burning in each of us individually, then together. It, it, it means when we gather together that we put your glory on display so we scatter throughout this region, Lord. We can be used by you to be a part of your loving act of drawing people into the right relationship with you. Lord, have your way in this moment. Thank you for the profound love that you not just taught us about, but demonstrated on the cross. You paid it all <laughs> so we can know you and live in the promise of eternal life and your blessed presence each and every moment of every day. We praise you for that in Jesus' name.